Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. First place in the Big Ten West. Uh, two games ahead of Wisconsin, uh, who was able to get back on the field. We'll talk about them in a little bit. But uh, another one possession win for the Cats, uh, 27-20 over Purdue. Sadly, the second half scoreless streak uh, broken, but you know that, that was just sort of gravy on the train. But what a dominant performance by the defense. I mean, just we'll get into it in more detail, but Wow. I mean, we we picked the right week. You know, when we talked last week about how this secondary was the greatest secondary we'd ever seen, <laughs> uh, we did our best to couch that, you know, and qualify that as much as possible and talk about depth, etc. But boy, did they pick the right week to make us look good. Um, because those guys, the secondary played absolutely out of their mind i mean again top to bottom fantastic defensive performance but there is one place and one place only to start with this one yeah i mean let's just dive right in like purdue wanted to throw the ball to david bell we've been talking about david bell and rondell moore for two years moore could not play this game um you know much to much to Northwestern's benefit, but David Bell was their top guy last year. He was he he it eviscerated us when we played Purdue last year, and they wanted to go to him. And Greg Newsom said no, over and over and over again. <laughs> yes, he did. And and even though even that being said, I mean Bell had nine catches for seventy eight yards, but was targeted so many more times, and Newsom was just locked down. That that was just that was a tremendous performance by Newsom. I, I mean, it's the most outstanding individual corner performance I remember since Matt Harris against Corey Davis in that Western was, Michigan yeah, game. Exactly. And and similarly, like Bell was Newsom's guy. Now, as you got into the second half, and you saw Purdue finally starting to like Aiden O'Connell was just locked in on, on Bell the entire first half. In the second half, he started to, to pass it around knowing that Bell was covered. And even the couple times he tried to go to Bell, especially like that last pass of the game, right? Newsom was right there and shut him down. The announcers were all over the fact that Bell is one of the best wide receivers in America. And Newsom like had him in his hip pocket all day. But in that second half, you saw Cam Ruiz show up and, and be phenomenal. You saw uh, Brandon Joseph show up and be phenomenal. You saw J.R. Pace making a bunch of plays. You saw Rod Hurd, and I, I think we saw A.J. Hampton a couple times. Maybe we did, more absolutely special teams. saw Hampton. We, we saw an animated A.J. Hampton, yes. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, yes, we did. Yes, we did. I recall that now. Um, but, my God, they were fantastic. They were just fantastic. And, I mean, obviously it starts with Newsom, but the depth was on full display, and it was like each, each guy was basically saying, hey, don't forget about me, man. Like, I'm here, too. Right. I think it's it's funny because on one hand, you want to heap so many plaudits on Newsom for every reason you just said, because it was the best since that Matt Harris, Corey Davis game, where just that feeling of a cornerback wanting the moment so bad 
and being like, you've been circled on my calendar forever and I'm taking you down. It's about, I saw some, several people, um, several of our, of our Twitter followers tweeted out, you know, this is Newsom, you know, filming his NFL highlight package right now, <laughs> filming his audition tape right now, um, playing himself into the combine and they're not wrong. He was that good. On the other hand, it's funny. We talk about guys who worried us coming in. And obviously it's like 90% Bell, right? I mean, I, I would lead with Bell. My number two would be Jeff Brom. Uh, <laughs> and, but my number three personally on this team, assuming more was, was out, um, was not Xander Horvath. It was Milton Wright. Yeah. Mil- and, Milton Wright's really good. And that's because, right. Not only is he really good, but, Brahm's offense is so good at spreading you out and being like, I will find the other guy if you're going to go on Bell. And the depth was just singing between Ruiz and Hampton. Man, oh man. I mean, there was just nothing, nothing going. And you talk about how many times they targeted Bell. How many times they targeted Bell on third down? Uh, Because the well just ran dry. It was a house of horrors for Aiden O'Connell on third down in this game. I tweeted something out about it the day after the game. But you're talking on, on third downs, this guy completed four or or converted four. And of those four, um, one was on a, shall we say, dubious pass interference yeah. call on Newsom. Yeah. Where, yeah. Bell, where Bell, who did this multiple times, gave as good as he got. And then I'm listening to Braum talk in his post-game press conference about holding and I'm like, oh, holding in the secondary? Besides David Bell, who are you talking about here? Um, <laughs> and so of that, you've got that play was one of Purdue's four third down conversions in the game. Another one was on a pass where O'Connell almost got sacked twice, then threw a ball, Patty Fisher tipped, and Xander Horvath caught. That was one of their other conversions. Um and one of the other four was their first third down of the game. Here's what else happened on third down. He threw six incomplete passes. He threw short of the sticks twice. He got sacked twice. He got tackled for a loss once. And he fumbled. It was a nightmare for Purdue on third down in this game. And remember, they had two touchdown drives. One was on a, granted, brilliantly executed fourth down play to a blocking tight end who'd never caught a pass in his Purdue career. That dude um, was crazy fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was pretty crazy. Um, and the other, their other touchdown drive was because to his credit, Xander Horvath pulled seven guys about four or five yards um, forward for that un, unreal conversion without either of those plays. Purdue doesn't have any touchdowns. Um, it was that good of a defensive performance. And, you know, I've, I would highlight Joseph also only because this is a guy who's made his name with interceptions thus far in the season. He did not have one and yet had several series where you're watching on the replay and you're just saying, this guy has radar. Like how, if you want to know where the play is going, just follow him because he always ends up where the ball is. Whether it's in the air or on the ground, his ability um, to range and to get and to get in position, regardless of where he is on the field, I mean, obviously he's not Superman, right? But but his ability to um, 
to to adjust to to the play like you're describing, John. Like I I I think he has physical tools that we haven't seen in a safety at Northwestern previously in terms of his his speed and his ability to range. Um, with regard to Purdue's performance that you were just describing, it's it's it's, it's worth looking back at last year's game. So they were only seven of fifteen on third down last year. I mean that was good enough for them to score three touchdowns. But when you look when you look underneath the covers a little bit, so David Bell had 115 yards on 14 catches. You you said he had what? He had did he have 98? 70, nine for 78. Yeah, nine for 78. So that's 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 five passes. I mean Newsom broke up well, at least at least three or four. Um, Newsom didn't play against Purdue last year, which is also probably important worth and worth noting. Cameron Ruiz was our top tackler, had two pass pass breakups last year, was predominantly trying to trying to keep with Bell. And like other than Ruiz, the only guys that showed up in the in the from the secondary, you know, Willock had um, six tackles, but Hampton, Pace um, were down near the bottom. And, and I mean, like. This team this year is so much more effective in coverage, which which is the the point I'm getting at here, um, and it was just on on full display. And then like having Newsom as the tip of your spear, the guy is just phenomenal, and and I I really think he's starting to break into that. You know, he he might be the best cornerback that we've ever seen play at Northwestern. Um, I don't know that I'm quite ready to 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 pull that lever yet, but. Uh, the performance this past weekend against against this type of foe, and the fact that the fact that Northwestern got it done without having to intercept the ball two or three times is is really awesome as well. I mean, we beat Purdue. Yeah, we got the what the one fumble. Was there more? Nope, was there that more was than it. One fumble. That was it. Yeah, just the one turnover. Um, obviously, it's critical that Northwestern not turn over the ball, um, especially next week. We're going to talk about that as as we go here. I, but I'll deep, go. Th- I'll this, go ahead. And- Go ahead. I'll go ahead and say I've never seen a secondary have a better game where no one intercepted a pass yeah. than yeah. this game. I've uh, that's an easy statement. That's I've a never spectacular seen a way to, to phrase well. it. Yeah, and and let's let's not overlook the fact that they had a grand total of two yards rushing. Who boy? Who boy? <laughs> I, I I mean I feel like we you know we keep saying it week after week but i mean the linebackers you know the linebackers you know these guys you know how phenomenal they are chris bergen in particular absolutely balled out in this game um but i just joe spivak and jake saunders i can't heap enough like credit on top of these guys we'll talk about the whole defensive line because they were all phenomenal but i mean you saw a little bit more Jordan Butler in this game. You saw a little bit more Wyatt Blake in this game. Both of those guys made notable contributions. But Jake and Joe are carrying all the water in the middle of this defense. And you're talking about one of the greatest Northwestern defenses we've ever seen. And in the case of Joe, he was supposed to be a valuable rotation guy this year. But I, you know, I believe both Gold and Trevor Kent were ahead of him on the depth They chart. were, absolutely. So he was supposed to be a really valuable rotation guy. He was not supposed to start every game and go wire to wire, whistle to whistle, every single game. And that's what he's doing. And Saunders, the two of them, it I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing. I mean, 
we all had have had this thing with Joe where oh he's so goofy and his personality's so good and he's this you know has this amazing story of what his dad was able to pull off um, and you know and he's such an entertainer and we know he had the Michigan State offer so we love him because he chose to walk on at Northwestern he's just a phenomenal football player like this guy is playing himself into NFL consideration and if you think that sounds far fetched like. It's exactly what his dad did. Um, and he, I mean, he's there, but the two of them are just the weight those guys are carrying on this defense um, in, in a situation where we normally are rotating four, five, six guys. Um, those two guys are, are doing it all. So again, I just wanted to highlight them. I know we're going to talk about the ends, but I wanted to highlight those two guys because when you talk about a run game like this, it starts with those two just crushing it. Now, great, granted, Pur- and- Purdue wasn't really looking to run the ball. So, I mean, like, they their bread and butter is throwing. But, I yep. mean, just to completely obliterate one side, like, one aspect of that offense, that just allowed us to sit back and focus on the pass. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Aiden O'Connell threw the ball 51 times. You knew that they were going to throw a lot. Xander Horvath had, what, 100 yards rushing in each of the last yeah, They were getting a games? buck a game from him, yeah. yeah, up until now, yeah. I mean, and they, they tried, and it, it weren't happening. <laughs> now, some of that is, you know, running him later in the game, right? But but we talked about this when Jeff Brom came to Purdue, that when you look at his Western Michigan teams, like, they, they would run for a ton of yards every game. He wants to be, I wouldn't say balanced, He's he's the type of guy who's going to take what you give him and go after it. Um, but but the the run is still a really important part of the game to Jeff Brome. And I think one of the things that's interesting when you look at O'Connell's stat line. So last year, O'Connell threw the ball 50 times for 271 yards. Almost almost identical to what he had this time, 251 uh, for, for roughly the same thing. But he, he didn't throw two picks. So what's interesting is like they still got their their yards through the air. Um, they didn't attack more or less downfield than they did last year. Really? That I mean, that the, the difference in this game effectively was totally shutting down their running game and then containing bell on third down. I mean that like th- that's, that's what kept Purdue at 20 instead of the 24 they scored last year. I still argue that if you start Andrew Marty last year, the Northwestern probably wins, but outside of that, like, we we took a very similar offense, and I think I said earlier in the week coming into the game, once we knew that that Rondell Moore was out, it was a lot easier to benchmark this team against last year's Purdue squad. And I mean, like the the progress in our defense is just is just it's visible right there on the field. For sure. The one other thing we should highlight, you know, as long as we're talking about how many times O'Connell's throwing the ball, right, is. Echo Leota had himself another phenomenal game, oh. as did as did the ends as a whole. We talked about that one game, you know, a couple games ago where, you know, we were shouting, you all need to know how good of a game he had because he, you know, against Iowa, he forced basically two interceptions um, through his own effort. And even though the stat sheet didn't really, you know, cover, I think he ended up with just one sack. And that was his only tackle in that game and being like, look, the stats do not reflect it. Well, this time the stats do reflect how good he was because he had two, <laughs> two sacks and a forced fumble and was an absolute terror. Um, but with that said, I don't want 
it's the same kind of thing where it's like Ernest Brown's contribution and Tommy Adebare's contribution should not be lost here. Um, just because Gallagher, I mean, just because um, Eku had the day that he had, I think, you know, in the case of Brown, he was harassing all day and Leota kind of talked about it too. Um, he talked about something that, that we've talked about, but he phrased it as he, he mentioned the concept of rat holes in his presser, which, um, as, as far as I can tell, is a pretty Northwestern specific terminology. It's used a couple of places. I think I saw it pop up on, on the internet a couple of places, but I think it's, it's a Marty Long preference term for sure, because you can go online and you can see Gaziano referring to it when he was at Northwestern and now Leota. But I think this idea of kind of using the defensive linemen together and kind of predicting the way the quarterback's going to try to move and the way where he's going to look to get out of the pocket and how you can use that to your advantage. And we've talked earlier in the year that, you know, with, with certain quarterbacks, you know, with Petrus at Iowa, um, the, the ends really were kind of playing ping pong and were totally inside his head and forcing one into the other and vice versa. And you totally saw that. And and Leota was the big beneficiary statistically. But the pressure was there all night. Um, in the case of Tommy, he jumped off sides once. And when he did, it kind of had the effect of highlighting for me the fact that, oh, he's playing inside on this play because we talked about that. But he did it a ton in this game. Um, like a lot of third down situations, etc. And... It's a heck of a weapon. You saw this package that we, you know, we played more defensive backs. Um, we had five defensive backs on the field, exponentially more this game than we've had in any game up until now. And that's part of the reason you saw so much Ruiz, so much Hampton at the same time, um, is because we were doing that. And on those downs, we were also playing Tommy at defensive tackle. And Again, when we talk about how much water our two main tackles are carrying right now, being able to work him onto the inside is a big deal. Um, and it's it's the one other thing I'll say, just because I thought it was kind of cool, because I think it speaks to the mentality of this group, is uh, Tommy jumped off sides once, Leota jumped off sides once, um, and Brown jumped off and jumped back on once and didn't get counted for it. So on one hand, you're like, oh, these guys sounds a little overaggressive. Uh uh-uh. uh, they were clocking the snap count, and I think these guys were saying, "All right, we're we we think we've got a a grip on the kind of snap count they're they're using, and we are just pinning our ears back and going here." And for those two offsides, the flip side was they were going like a bat out of hell on third down all night, um, and it it made a massive impact in the game. And for those couple times, those couple sacks. There were all those other plays where O'Connell was flustered and threw incomplete passes, and it was just a, a masterclass. There was not a bad section of this defense. They looked every bit uh, what they are, which is you know one of the top ten, if you, if not top five defenses in the country. On the flip side, let's talk a little bit about Ramad Chaka Bowman. Like talk about a coming out party for RCB. He had a great game. Eight catches, 86 yards, three touchdowns. He was Ramsey's security blanket and was damn good looking. Yeah, he was phenomenal. And and we've been stoked about this dude for, for, you know, three years now. And he, he brings so much personality to the game and, you know, whether it's his, 
his involvement in the the team videos or um like he's just he's got a big a big personality he's, you know fun with the hair etc and it's awesome to see see this game for him you know he's a guy that last year if you watch him on tape he caught a lot of balls a lot of contested balls just getting like hit right after the pass like somebody that you know he's he's got a lot of skills but he's also not going to dust his corner off the line um every time you're out there and the fact that he and Ramsey have have developed this this rapport that all three of his catches he was open like i should say all three of his touchdown catches he was open um and had beat his coverage in one way shape or form and uh, it's just it's just awesome to see how we're using him it's also three really different uh, types of passes and it's it's ironic because earlier in the day and we didn't throw this type of ball to him but earlier in the day I watched Bennett Skoranek catch three touchdown passes for Notre Dame and I joked to um, my Notre Dame family that uh, or, or in-laws I should say like man it's he, it's no wonder he left Northwestern because like Northwestern never in a million years would have thrown him that ball meaning like the high point um, ball in the end zone like I don't know if it's a fade. I guess, yeah, it's a fade in the end zone, right, for him to high point and come down with, which we never in a million years uh, would have thrown thrown to him quite the way that they did. And uh, and now, of course, somebody's going to, you know, send us a video clip of, of us doing exactly that. But point being, like, the fact that we went to RCB in those three different spots, right, like the the moon ball over the shoulder catch, um, the, the – like like sprint out catch to the left where he was wide open and untouched and then the uh the slant in uh, uh on the right on the right side i mean it's just it's just spectacular and it just goes to show how this offense um is designed to to unlock playmakers and he you know he, he, he like what what a game because it wasn't just that right like to your point sam he was a security blanket all you were finding him all over the field catching all di- types of different passes and it was great to see Totally. Um, I think the, you know, we've kind of been thinking about this and obviously the most important thing to talk about in this game, of course, was the defense by far and then RCB and you're absolutely right. We know at the same time though, that a lot of you, there's a very specific narrative that we've sort of pushed back against in a couple senses because we really try to dive in and, and try to give you guys an idea of exactly what's going on, right? With that said, there are now three straight games where Northwestern's held a tight lead in the fourth quarter, midway through the fourth quarter, and while holding that tight lead has been really unsuccessful on offense, right? And it's where all the Mick McCall talk starts coming out, and we kind of jumped out ahead of that midway through the fourth quarter because I think we could all kind of see where it was going, and suddenly there was a situation where... We were only up seven, giving the ball back. And I think immediately we shifted into some sets that had Northwestern Nation like correct collectively groaning. And we were kind of among that among that group as well. Um, more so probably in this game than last game. At the same time, it's really important, uh, I think, for us to kind of map out exactly what was going on there. And try to put our finger on exactly what it was that was frustrating about that. Um, and because I think it highlights some problems that exist for the Northwestern offense right now. 
and also some solutions and some ways to get around those those problems. So I kind of want to jump to the most important bit right away, and then we can kind of circle back. The single biggest thing isn't the fact that Northwestern suddenly went into heavy sets late in the game. It's that in those situations, Kyrick McGowan should be the running back. And there are several reasons for this, um, but we'll, we'll kind of get to them. Now, when I say a, a heavy formation, I mean a heavy balanced formation with a tight, a tight end to each side. Um, we were joking about this earlier, but if there were heavy situations in this game where Kyrick got the ball, and just so we're all clear, if there are two tight ends on the field and they're both to one side of the formation... And the only receiver to the other side of the formation is Kyrick McGowan. That's a heavy set with Kyrick McGowan as a running back. Okay. <laughs> that, the most likely scenario is, is we're giving that ball to him on a jet sweep. And that's fine. Like that's, and we know Purdue had not adjusted to that early in the game. And, you know, Scuzz, you pointed that out when we were talking that, um, yeah, if I, yeah, if I can briefly interject, like those two plays were both run against nine man boxes. Um, and that's like, that's telling because against a nine man box, like running the ball is generally not super successful, but Purdue was so focused on stopping our bread and butter up the middle, which is exactly how Bajakian uses our running game right now is, is as a way to, as a way to get the defense to do what he wants them to do. And then to hit them back with, with a McGowan, uh, jet sweep. Like it was, it was, it was a thing of beauty. Right, exactly. And that was so, I mean, like those were, you know, again, not to be, to, to exhume the, the Jelani Roberts package horse just to beat it a few more times. We won't do that. <laughs> this is, this is different. Okay. The, that was your, exactly. He's looking at a packed middle of the field. Right. And I think what a lot of people are kind of coalescing around, right, is how is this offense that's so dynamic during the game, right? Because he's finding ways to utilize the backs, right? We saw wheel routes in this game. We saw several plays where the wheel route was a primary option and Ramsey is a great enough quarterback that he saw that that wasn't open. There's a secondary option of rain coming across the field. Just dynamic plays. Um, you, You saw Bowser get screens. You saw Bowser get swing passes. He can get the backs to touch the ball in ways other than handoffs, right? Um, But... I think what people are saying is how is it so dynamic all through the game, but then halfway through the third quarter, the fourth quarters of these games, suddenly we're rolling out this really vanilla looking um, set and running really vanilla looking plays. Well, it's slightly more complicated than that, but there's a real problem here. The real problem is Kyrick McGowan's our number one back by far right now. Okay. Um, you've got Drake who we love. Um, and has real abilities, but also has major limitations. Once again in this game, um, we saw Drake get arm tackled by defensive linemen while moving at top speed. All right. So that's a real limitation. And Bowser is just hurt right now. He's not 100%. It's affecting him physically, but it's also affecting his approach to running the ball. Um, and And I think what I mean by that is, you're not getting a lot of cuts out of him right now. He's looking to get upfield and move the pile. And if you're saying, hey, that's what Bowser does, there's more to the running back position than that. And I bring that up because 
there were a couple of plays in this game um, where this became a major, major liability. Because I think a lot of you were saying, what you're saying is, all right, look, we saw in the first quarter when it also didn't work. Um, I mean, you think about the fact that, okay, Northwestern had that unbelievable fourth down play. So cool where Ramsey's at wide receiver and then he runs under center (laughs) and we got them to jump off. Fantastic play. The play right before that was just a vanilla-looking double tight set where Bowser got stuffed at the line of scrimmage. That's why we were in fourth down in the first place. So that set showed up in the first quarter and then it showed up again midway through the fourth quarter. And that's what had everyone kind of tearing their hair out. Here's what's really important for you guys to know, though. Okay, if I leave you with anything today, it's this. We didn't run the same running play out of that set all game. We ran two different plays, and they were very different. One is exactly what you're visualizing in your head. Everyone is blocking straight up the field, hat on a hat, and you're sending a guy right up the field. Okay, now that was what we joked was the only carry uh, Fitz was going to remember from this game, <laughs> the effect, the, the effective icing game at the middle where Bowser got six, six yards, right? He went right up the middle. The guy's all blocked. Bowser is, he's good for that. If you can block a straight ahead run play and give that guy a hole, he will plow forward and get you those hard yards. Okay. But the two drives were Northwestern short circuited in the fourth quarter the two that you're all thinking about where you're like, what in God's name are we doing? What you need to know is of the first of those two drives, we ran a play that we also ran in the first quarter and both times it was executed perfectly. Basically what happens is the backside guard pulls the front side guard down blocks on the tackle, which both times was Lorenzo Neal. The backside tackle and the center double team the other tackle and the tight and the and the front side tackle, who in this case was Gunnar Vogel, has his man straight up, and Gunnar totally did his job and handled his man on this play. Okay. You have a pulling guard coming around from the backside, okay, pulling really into that really tackle space on the front side of the play, and your front side guards down blocking. This is a play that is designed to go on one or the other side of the front side tackle. It's not a design outside run, but that is certainly an option. This is not a play up the middle. It is a play to the outside. We ran this play twice. And as the icing on the cake of this play, the wide receiver, Ramad Chaukau Bowman, does a fake reverse motion on the play. And both times it was run, first quarter, fourth quarter, it totally pulled the corner way, way inside. It's all a long way of saying the outside was wide open on this play, including and especially on this play in the third. Coach Jake limits himself a little when he goes to these bunch formations, but he's got a lot of bag in his bag of tricks. The problem is Bowser just didn't take it. He got the ball and he was like, I I can do one thing right now and it's get upfield. And this is not that play. Kyrick's probably still running if he's in if he's at running back in that play, okay? It's, it's just where Bowser is right now 
he's limited in terms of what he can do. And I think a lot of you read that play as it happened and were like, what were we doing handing the ball right up the middle on third down? What a waste of a down. This was a good play call that was there. It was there to the outside and it was wide open. And then the drive after that was a third down where the ball was batted at the line by Lorenzo Neal. Credit to him. On, on, Our, on a, a pass where Malik Washington uh, was wide open, wide open. in oh, the spot. Oh, oh it, was, it was wide open. Uh, it was an awesome play call. It was wide open. So this is all the way to say, okay, on one hand, don't tear your hair out. Really good plays were called here, okay, on both third downs. Again, that should have been a jailbreak run on that first third down. And the second one, he was wide open, and that first down effect just about would have iced the game for us. On the other hand, the single biggest problem with these bunch sets is that you're taking Kyrick off the field. And Kyrick's our number one back. Scuzz was talking about it after the game. I mean, you talk, I mean, it's just, we're bending over backwards to get him the ball in as many ways as possible all the time. He's our number one running back, whether he's in the backfield or not. But if you have a bounced double tight formation, the only way he can be that guy is if he's that back in the backfield. And we run this play infrequently enough that you're not putting too many more miles on him by putting him back there. And I really hope going forward that anytime you see us in that kind of formation, um, it's, it's Kyrick back there because he's, he's the bell cow for us uh, at running back right now. He just is. Um, we use him all over the field, but that's his role see, in, I, in a really dynamic way. I would describe him slightly differently. I think he's the, the, the pivot point for this whole offense. And I said that in our preseason preview and that he's the Swiss army knife. He's the, he's the weapon that you can move around and use in different ways. And we saw him beating a corner off the line uh, and, and, and them going deep to him a couple times in the game. He saw him on those jet sweeps. Generally, if we're handing off to him, it's out of a two back set. And I think you're right. I think, I think we need to consider putting him just straight up at, at, at running back at times. But What's also interesting about this, and, and I wanted to highlight, for me, it comes down to that pass that you talked about on third down, John, where, where Washington was open, because one of the really interesting differences between Bajakian and McCall is that Bajakian, he doesn't give two shits about what formation the defense is in. <laughs> and that sounds like stubborn and Fitzian, and maybe it's what got him the job, but it's it's a little more nuanced than that. And, and so we... As I was watching the game, I thought, gosh, it seems like we are throwing a lot against light boxes and running a lot against heavy boxes. So when I went back, it's one of the things I looked for in the video. And, yep, spot on. Like, we threw more against – now, part of this is that Purdue generally was running, like, a three-man front for most – for, like, the first two-and-a-half quarters of the game. And, and that's one of the things that, as you got into the later part of the third quarter and into the fourth quarter, they were starting to have – four down linemen, eight men in the box. Um, that that fl- We ran a lot against eight men in the box in the second half. Um, but that critical third down where we play actioned and Ramsey had Malik Washington exactly where he wanted him to convert, I think what, it was a three and third and four, I believe. That was also an eight-man box. And this is why Bajakian does it this way, is that... He he doesn't. If you recall, and it's it's funny because I, I, like I almost struggled to recall this, but Northwestern used to pause on every play and look back to the sideline, 
and they were getting direction from the coaching staff as to whether they should run or pass based on the defensive alignment. Now, now the advent of RPOs has, has, you know, evolved that process a bit. And I realize that I'm oversimplifying here. I'm sure there are other intricacies that, um, you know, former Northwestern players would be like, dude, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like, I know it's, I know I'm oversimplifying here, but point being like, we don't do that anymore. I'm sure Ramsey has checks at the line. I think, I think the biggest factor is that the coaching staff really trusts Ramsey when he drops back, that if the defense drops nine or they're bringing heat, like he's going to do the right thing. He's not going to just throw it up for grabs. He's going to tuck the ball and run in the right situation. And as a result, they're not they're not as worried, and 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 it, it works for Bajakian's system to just to just attack. And and it's for me, I think the benefit is it means this offense has an extreme sense of self identity. They're not adapting on literally every, every play to what the defense is doing, but it also means that there's a lot of times where we run into an eight man box, <laughs> and um, that's for for a guy like Anderson or for, or for Bowser injured or not, like that's not a good situation because because now basically there's an extra there's an extra defender that you either weren't accounting for or don't have blocked or they just like they have a much better chance to to overwhelm you right um so that's really interesting but it then it allows it 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 creates those leverage points and those opportunities where we've got an eight-man box on a third and four this happened a number of times on on third and third and two the fourth and two play like Purdue was loading up the boxes on all those plays because they expected Northwestern to run, and and there, you know, you had the, the little sprint pass out to out to McGowan to convert the fourth down that was critical on our last scoring drive. Uh, you had the, the the touchdown to him on the other direction that was kind of on a similar play. Like like we took those opportunities to throw the ball in third and two, fourth and two, third and four things that you would not have seen in the past and. That's that's the key to the Bajakian system is he he wants to get that defense into the I need to stop the run mentality and then hits them with the alternative. And like John said, there's a lot of other tricks in that bag. So, you know, going back to um, the final play, if you will, I mean, what 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 stood out to me on that play? It's a similar complex blocking scheme like John just described. And I didn't I didn't have a chance to go back and map it. But where you've got, you know like like the line kind of disintegrates into when I'm watching it it feels like I'm seeing almost like three tiers of players on the field and to me what stood out was Bowser's patience running on that play and that's a difference from one of the ones that John described earlier where Bowser was just like I got I just got to get up field and ran straight into the back of the tackle and like I I wonder if that that that's something we're going to have to think about is is not just the health of these guys and who should be the one back there. But think about Justin Jackson, such a patient runner, right? Waiting oh, for the that's... blocks to come into play and then attacking. Like that's the mentality. That's the blocking scheme that we're using right now. So that, and that's the, the thing. Jackson is the perfect example, right? And because you're right there, you know, we ran that straight ahead, you know, hat on hat blocking play twice. The play that I was talking about in, um, in the first quarter, which was also to Bowser, where he got stopped on a third down, it was just because the you know one of the defensive ends sniffed it out and got an awesome drop jump, and he just got inside of Vogel, and he I mean he just read it. Credit to him, he got a major jump on the play, and that was enough to blow it up. That was the only miss on the play. With those straight ahead plays, you know, you kind of everybody has to get a hat on a hat. Our line's really good, and and the play you're talking about, Scuzz, they did, and. If, if you've, you know, 
that Bowser's as good at that as, you know, any back we've had. But that kind of play, you know, it's that kind of thing where it's like, if I'm a defensive coordinator and, you know, the Bowser in the physical situation he's in right now is on the field in that set, I'm saying, look, just sell out against the middle because either they're going to play action or they're going to run straight up the field. Whereas if it was McGowan, I'd be like, just like every other play Jake ran all this game, I don't know what the hell they're doing, um, <laughs> which is which is what he's so good at. And, and you know, again, for all the, the tearing out, the hair tearing out, right? I mean, again, I think it's there. there was that feeling, right, of, Oh, halfway through the first fourth quarter is the first time where I sitting at home kind of feel like I know what we're going to do, which on one hand stinks. On the other hand, it's really refreshing that the first three and a half quarters weren't that way. <laughs> it's been a really nice experience to have that this year. Um, and, and even still, like I said, there, there were there were dynamic changes that really kind of presented themselves on tape afterwards where you go back and you're like, oh, my Lord, this was was almost there. Um, but we should step back too and be like, we scored 27 points in this game, 17 in the first half, right? And a, a couple of things, right? Remember, one of the drives in the first half started at our own one yard line and was a no go from the start. Like that was just the punter just scrubbed that drive. Credit to produce punter, but that drive again was just a mess from the get go. And then in the second half, we scored a touchdown and then punted, but then went on this epic drive that ended in a Charlie Kubander field goal um, that started at our own 25, took us through the end of the third into the fourth quarter and only short-circuited because of a six-yard loss on a gift to Kyrick McGowan. I'll take that play every day to Sunday. Uh, you factor that play out of that game and Kyrick averaged over seven yards a carry in this game because of the variety and dynam- you know dynamism of the calls. So if it takes an occasional you know, big loss to make the rest of it work, like whatever. Um, and that short-circuited that drive. And then we shifted into these sets. But again, 27 points. Again, if if we busted that one play that I was talking about, and go look at the tape um, on this play, because I'm telling you, I mean, there's a touchdown to be had there. Um, that puts us into the 30s. I mean, you think of the drive with Peyton's interception. Bryce Kurtz was open on that play. Wet ball, slipped out of his hand, went high. And got tipped, um, too. I mean, that, let's not forget that just like the yeah. one against Nebraska, tipped and happened to go right to the defender. So I am not can't really put all of the blame on Ramsey on that. Yeah, it slipped out of his hands right. a little bit, but right. just and I mean, it was like into you, the defender's you, hands. Exactly. And it's like you want to focus on yards after the game, and, and I get it. Like, the rush yards were low, but – the you know the way the passing game was coordinated, the way things were going, um, the way um, McGowan, who again take that one loss out, and his numbers were really good for this game, um, was used in multiple different ways. RCB was located, things were going. We easily could have scored in the 30s in this game, um, and and yeah. So again, it it all goes back to that fourth quarter stuff. But I think there's more there than meets the eye. I would expect. As much McGowan as we've seen, the amount of Kyrick in our lives is only going to continue to get ramped up and ramped up. Um, and and yeah, so I, again, I, I think we all feel very good about this and feel very good about the overall play calling. Um, and, you know, we would say don't get too wrapped up in the yardage here. Um, and, and certainly 
don't get wrapped up in whatever happens against the monster coming next week. Um, there are a lot of games and a lot of touchdowns to be had for the rest of this season. Also, want I, I I want to shout out the offensive line. Zero sacks allowed. I mean, the pa- the yes. pass pro was there all game. We we've talked a little bit about the the running uh, the running game. The blocking schemes were there, like you said, John. You know the it didn't quite come all come together, but I thought the offensive line just as a whole had a, had a phenomenal game. Yeah, they did. I mean, I, th- I think um, Lorenzo Lorenzo Neal may have gotten the best of the interior a couple times. I think that's something we're going to need to watch for next week. The interior line is not as strong, I'll say, as the as the as the tackles probably. But I um yeah, I mean the the the, the time that Ramsey had to throw and and generally when when he felt like he needed to just tuck and run, it was not because of pressure per se it was more because nobody was open he figured well let me just take it um it wasn't i mean like i said earlier purdue was running a three man down a three man line a lot of the game so they weren't coming after him either and i think it's like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the game that peyton ramsey had because mm-hmm. while his stats are not gaudy um his what's so good about him versus a couple of the last two games where we talked about you know him struggling with the wind and not being able to rifle, you know, the balls into into strong headwinds, etc. Like his touch was on display in this game. His brain was on display in this game, and those two things are spectacular. Um, the 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 moon ball touchdown to RCB. He had another one that he dropped into RCB's arms at the sideline, just right over the linebacker. Like his, he was so on in this game. He threw deep to um, McGowan twice. That was. Pretty close both times. I mean, you know, he he he's able to get the ball downfield. Um, I, I don't want anybody to, to to listen to our comments last last game and think that he doesn't have the ability to throw the ball far. He certainly does. It's it's a matter of when there's you know a vicious wind in his face. And granted, it was it was a wet game this game, so he you know he demonstrated um, something against the elements. So that's that's good. But just in general, like his decision making, the way he processes, how quickly he thinks about what's going on. And the little stuff he does, there was one, there was one play where he started to run and then stopped and, you know, kind of like kept the offense, kept the defense, like guessing a little bit and then whipped it out to somebody standing by the sideline for, for a five yard gain. Like he just does so many little things and had just a phenomenal matchup. It's almost like he spent three years with Purdue as his rival. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But all in all, like he, he was, he was fantastic. Well, and that was the thing we talked about before. Where like, first of all, his throwing, imp- like his ball looked prettier this week. It certainly did. I mean, even I mean, even the way coming out of his hand. But it's what we talked about before. It's like, yeah, this guy sometimes throwing the ball doesn't look the part. And if you're wondering how someone who doesn't look the part has piled up the kind of yards he's piled up, it's because of that head scuzz was talking about. This is a guy who finished the first half of the Nebraska game by basically practically walking out and handing the ball to a cornerback. And uh, since that play, basically, he's thrown 17 incomplete passes over six quarters, five touchdowns, and one interception. And that one interception, again, tipped ball, wet ball. Um, and, and aside from that, he's dealing. You talk about his, his decision-making. I feel like every week... 
Bajakian excitedly is like, okay, here's the new thing I'm rolling out this game. So here's how you're going to do this. And here's, and the big one that jumped out to me was this wheel route concept that was used several plays in this game. It's mainly notable because Purdue covered it well. Um, and the, you know, I was looking at one time Cam Porter came out and then ran the play. And I was like, ooh, wow, Cam Porter and he's going deep. Are we going to get it to him? No, Purdue covered it. But there are multiple reads in that play. And you can see Bajay can be like, look, that wheel route is your first thing. But if it's not there, just roll out. Rain's going to be coming across the field. And you just saw it. It was just perfect. You see, like, you could just see Ramsey moving through his progression smoothly and doing it while he was rolling out and being like, okay, I know exactly where I'm going with this because I've got multiple options here. He's just a smooth operator. And... With, to Sam's point, the the time and comfort he's getting in that, you know, in that pocket, it's, it, it makes it all go and it makes a lot of things work. Now, again, there, there is literally no team in the country that makes you less comfortable in the pocket than the team we're playing next week. Um, <laughs> so it'll, it'll be a, a shift in gears in a big way, but. Um, as of right now, you can't take anything away from what the line's doing and what Ramsey's doing. Well, I think that's a perfect opportunity to uh, to pivot to this upcoming weekend's game against Wisconsin. Um, you know, a team that Peyton Ramsey has never played. Really interesting. Yeah, weird, huh? That that that's bizarre, but it, it makes sense. I mean, I, he was, ironic he was in too. The, yeah, he was in the East for so long, and um, I was I was gonna say ironic because Wisconsin's got Indiana with a bullet like three weeks from now so the uh but but not while ramsey was there so wisconsin came off their two-week uh covid stoppage um i kind of thought that they might be a little rusty as you know graham mertz coming back uh <laughs> jim harbaugh said hold my yeah beer. i mean <laughs> let's talk like michigan just i mean they 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 wanted no business of that, they wanted no part of that game uh, on Saturday. Like they quit, like after the first drive, it was it was brutal. So let's file this under um, having them exactly where we want them because Wisconsin, while they they were they were good in this game, they were fine in this game. Um, I watched, I rewatched the first half of this game today, and I mean, it's it's Michigan gifting Wisconsin everything whether it's the, the 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 opening opening interception that gets thrown um a a closing interception to, to, that leads to the fourth north uh, wisconsin touchdown that is just literally thrown right at the linebacker who is stationary it's it's absurd um the penalties like Graham Mertz was 12 of 22 for 127 yards in this game yes he threw for two touchdowns but let's call a spade a spade. This dude did not look like a, he did not look like he looked in week one against Illinois. Um, now we know Michigan has a lot of talent on defense, but we also know that they've been smoked um, a couple of times in the last I mean, couple of weeks. I mean, I, I thought we knew we're yeah. waiting to see. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, but, but like, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious about Wisconsin's running game. I didn't see a single Wisconsin receiver creating separation or um, making big time athletic catches. I saw a lot of misplaced balls and a lot of incompletes that then 
gave way to just a complete Michigan um, collapse in the second half. Uh, but I, I mean, I just like where I want to start for this Wisconsin game is their offense ain't 49 points scary. Cause you've got to give a no. third of a third to half of that to their defense. Oh, absolutely. And I think this, this Wisconsin team, you should leverage you, you listeners should leverage your collective experience of what Wisconsin's like when they play Northwestern. Yep. Um, this is going to be exactly that. The defense is exactly as you imagine it to be. It is just as terrifying as it is in their head. The offense is not this offense. They're really they're good, but understand they've played the 78th and 104th ranked total defenses in the country this year. That's their two games. And of the two scoring defensive defenses they've played, Illinois is the better one. That's what they're like. It's their Illinois and Michigan are the 88th and 89th scoring defenses in the country. So Wisconsin's offense is good, but A, they're certainly not as good as they showed out in these two games. I mean, Michigan is like, it's not just the Wisconsin game. Michigan's a tire fire on defense this year. They're a wreck. Um, and Illinois is exactly what you think Illinois is. Um, so, and then factor in all the experience of how good Northwestern defenses play against the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, you know what this game is going to be like. The question is, can we avoid turnovers on offense? And can we get anything going? Some sort of big play, a couple drives, etc. I mean, the, the, the problem is, I mean, again, that, that, Seven points to get you know given up to Illinois, eleven points given up to Michigan. That's totally legit. Wisconsin's terrifying on defense. Here's and we the interesting. That- here's the interesting thing though. Like I think, much like Northwestern, Wisconsin this year is not a team that is really good at pressuring the quarterback. I mean, maybe maybe when bringing blitzes, but their their defensive line, as it seems, I mean, they got one sack against Michigan, one quarterback hurry. Like they just, it was it was much more about. I mean, totally shutting down whatever Michigan was doing, running the ball, um, tackling the hell out of them, and then a ton of discipline and and good coverage. And I just like like this Badger team is so reflective of Northwestern in so many ways. Um, but when like when they're on offense, I think it is strength on strength, right? Their running game against our run defense, and then on the other side, I don't. I think our passing offense can exist and and can do things. We are going to be the arbiters of whether it works or not. It's not going to be, I mean, they don't they don't have a nick they don't have you know a um, a watt on their defensive line this year. That's for sure. Now they have a couple really dynamic linebackers, and of course Leonard is he's as good of a yeah. DC as there is in the game right now. And, and, um, and when they bring when they want to bring pressure, that's when it does get scary. You're right, but I just like. Like their defensive oh. line proper, they're they're not going to be blowing up our O line left, right, and center. Well, and the good thing too is to be in a position offensively where you're like everything that we did against Purdue, pretty much going to do the same kind of stuff against Wisconsin, and I don't have a problem with that. Like we're not in a situation right now being like, oh dear God, we're going to throw it into the line against this team. No, 
that's not what we're going to do. Um, it's going to be right now. Bajakian is thinking, all right, what are three or four plays that I can draw up for this week? What are some different looks? How am I going to be as multiple and varied as possible? Um, he, he's thinking all of those different things. I think the, the single thing that probably worries me the most is Wisconsin's really good, um, at scheming pressure, like I was saying, through through their linebackers with yeah. with blitz, yeah, yeah. they blitz, they stunt, they do. It's just like think of the very best things Nebraska did, and then multiply it by three, and that's Wisconsin anytime they want. I mean, that's what they can do on a passing down when they when they know you're throwing the ball. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, you're talking. There are three linebackers out there all the time, and they're all good, and they move them around a lot. So between Potentials for sacks and, and throwing the ball short. There are potential for turnovers there. And that's Siskuz's point. Like Michigan was just just sloppy as all get out and just gifted Wisconsin all the field position they needed. And Wisconsin just rolled them. Well, we are so much better. I mean, first of all, the average Northwestern defense of the past decade, right? goes to war with Wisconsin and gives as good as they get. Like we're built to play this team, just like we're built to play Iowa. So then this defense should do just fine. Um, do like that 45 points, 49 points. Our defense is ready. Okay. I mean, credit where credit is due. Our defense is unreal, but this game's probably going to be a slog. Derek Adams, Charlie Kubander, these are big factors in a game. Like <laughs> yes, this. they mm-hmm. are. Um, and, and you know, sh- shout loss, out to Kubander, yeah. uh, career long against uh, Purdue in that in the rain, in the wind, and super quietly. I think, especially quietly, because he had I think the one miss against Nebraska. He's five of six. Uh, he's he's making his kicks, and I mean we're going to need that against Wisconsin. But I mean Adams. I mean you're there are going to be times where Bajakin's going to have. A bunch of creative stuff drawn up. Um, Kyrick's going all over the place. And their terrifying linebackers just run it down. Like, the goal is don't turn it over. Our defense is going to be able to handle it. Our defense might just get a couple turnovers. Might just get something. Um, We all know Wisconsin running backs in big matchups like this have a history of coughing the ball up. (laughs) Um, I mean, that was most... I mean, well, I guess that wasn't just Jonathan Taylor, but it was mostly Jonathan Taylor. Uh, That goes all the way back to Ron Dane. I I was going to say, they'll they'll give the ball up. And if we're there to to grab it, you know, turnovers are going to be huge in this game. But I mean, really expect... These are two of the top 10 and maybe two of the top five defenses in the country. Um, and they're probably both going to ball out, and it's going to be tight. Yep. Um, yeah. I, Mertz is interesting to me because I don't think he's really faced a good defense yet, um, or at least one that's been operating competently. And it, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see what happens to Wisconsin when they are not able to run the ball against Northwestern like they've been able to against these other two teams because play action has been you know has been there for them anytime they want it. Um, like full stop, Nikia Watson and Jalen Berger, the two running backs for, for Wisconsin are both really good and are going to give our linebackers like all, all they can take. Um, it, it's going to be full on. And I was pretty impressed with Mertz running the ball against Michigan, especially because of, uh, how willing he was to just go straight, like into like head first into the teeth of that defense, um, up, up the middle. So, uh, you know he doesn't have moves like Luke McCaffrey, so I don't think he's going to be able to juke um, 
juke Patty Fisher much, but um, Patty better be ready for for Mertz to take off running. I like again everything about about watching him in that in that Michigan game. He just he looks like a a brand new starting quarterback in that um, he's and a young one at that. Like he's not minimizing hits. Um, he is he he's he's out there trying to make plays and in this situation where you're going to have two defenses, I mean, this game should end like 14, 10, right. And it's, it's, it's the perfect type of place that Fitz wants to be, but you can imagine a quarterback who's had the type of success, putting up 45 points, two games in a row, like him trying to press things and the absolute key. And you already mentioned it, John, but I'm going to repeat it. The absolute key is for us to stay disciplined. Minim- do not turn the ball over. Minimize any and all mistakes, i.e. penalties, etc., and opportunities will be there for us. Can I put my tinfoil hat on for just a second? I mean, th- and this is are you, are you going to suggest that we should come down? I, with COVID? I, I'm not going to suggest that, but you know, you you have seen that people start to like murmur about that, and you know, we would never do that. I mean, it's not something no. that that we would we would ever ever do. That's just not Fitz's game. Um, well, but and- you know, if this game got canceled. Wisconsin is eliminated from the divisional championship potential, and we've got the one game on Purdue. Well, and you know, to your point, and you know, like you know, we it's we not going to happen. Obviously. obviously, it's not going to happen. We we could obviously, but with that said, um, in Fitz's post game press conference, he went out of his way. He is extremely proud. About the fact that we haven't gotten, that that our team has not gotten. And again, yes, there's a degree of luck involved there, but... I'm knocking on wood furiously right now. Oh, right. But he is really proud of... He's like, look, our guys are isolating all of our people. Like, don't, like, don't... On one hand, like Scuzz says, knock wood furiously. On the other hand, don't discount... The fact that Northwestern would be and is a really fantastic team at putting something like this together, and the organization, the athletic department, um, and really the school as a whole, um, and there is something to be said for that. So, on the other hand, you know, on the one hand, um, right, like it's it's you know it's that tinfoil hat, it, it, and it's, it's fun. It's funny to and, hear people talk about that, and you, you stop ex- for like ex- half a second, like, huh? No, 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 exactly. No, yeah, don't want to give it too much thought. Right, exactly. But on the on the other hand, the one thing I would say is, if there was a situation where Northwestern did end up, you know, that that something related to that did end up being a deciding factor, don't discount the fact that Northwestern's athletic department worked their absolute tails off, as did the football team, um, to to make this whole thing go. Um, and that that shouldn't be discounted. It does matter. It does have value, but obviously, with that said, right? I mean, we we want to beat them on the field. I think it's hilarious that Allstate's playoff predictor has Wisconsin, uh, I think, with like a fifty-six and a half point chance, a percent chance of making the playoff, whereas we have a three point three percent chance of making the playoffs. And when you factor in the fact that these two defenses have the real potential to drag this game down into the mud, a rock fight in the mud. Um, fifty six percent to three point three percent seems like an awful lot, um, given everything we know about the way we can play against this team. Can I get some beef off my chest here for a second? 
Um, Do it. Wisconsin, ranked number 10. 2-0, who have they beaten? Michigan, who's terrible. Illinois, who's terrible. Indiana, number 9 in the country. 4-0, who have they beaten? A winless Penn State. A one-win Michigan. A one-win... a one-win Rutgers. And who's their fourth win? Um, yeah, a, a, one-win, a one-win Michigan State. Like, yeah. Indiana's opponents have won three games all season combined. Wisconsin's opponents have won two games all season combined. We've played a, like a legit schedule so far. I mean, Purdue is really good. Iowa came back and... You know, obliterated Minnesota after you know after we beat them. Nebraska came back and obliterated Penn State after we beat them. Um, do you, do you, do you want to talk about Ohio State's uh, number three ranking as well? I mean, they've played Nebraska, Penn State, and Rutgers. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm not yeah. going to go there because I think Ohio State is just objectively better. But I mean, the the point the point stands. So, so I, I think there, I think there's an eyeball test that I think I think Wisconsin certainly gets afforded here, uh, and given their pedigree coming in, fifty six percent of the playoff predictor indicates that either the Big Ten is getting two teams in or they are beating Ohio State, which like I, I don't know. I, again, I I don't know how I don't know about Graham Mertz against um, the, the the best of the best yet, but the, the like Indiana. To have four wins now, and let's and let's be honest, like as 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 jacked up as Penn State and Michigan are, from a scheme performance, whatever whatever you want to call it, like those teams are laden with talent, and Indiana, while having recruited much much better the last couple of years, is not. And I think like I think they should be rewarded for being four and zero. I mean, yeah, we're four like, and zero too. They're ranked number nine well, because hey, they beat. <clears throat> Two, they beat two teams that are traditional blue bloods who are having terrible seasons. We're nineteen because why? Well, well, so, they also shut they shut out Michigan State twenty four okay. nothing, and we've we've won we've won three one 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 score games. Hey, so well, so aside from perception, right, and aside from from feeling like we've got beef, which I totally agree, Sammy. I think we should be ranked higher. I think this defense is not getting the respect that it deserves. You know, in terms of our ranking. But I think from a almost logistical standpoint, I would the main thing I would highlight is that we've played Iowa and uh, Wisconsin and Indiana have not. And that's big to me because Iowa, for all of their awards, is a really strong team in the trenches. Um, and I think we at least have had to go up against something like that. Um, and, and again, and Iowa's defense if rankings quietly are, are very good this year. Um, and it's kind of lost in the fact that their offense has, has been scattershot and that they are what I think two and two right now, but their, their defense has been excellent. And we at least have faced something like that headed into Wisconsin that allows us to calibrate a little bit better. And I think, on the flip side, we've also had to deal with Purdue's offense. And I think uh, on one hand, you know, regardless of what, the, regardless of what kind of weight the pundits want to give that, the fact is 
we've seen a good offense and we've seen a good defense this year and Wisconsin hasn't. Um, and that probably is going to make a difference. And, you know, to be fair, you know, you look at the Indiana's back half of their schedule at Ohio State, Maryland, who's scoring points on everybody now uh, at Wisconsin and Purdue. So, I mean, they, they have their work cut out for them you know, going forward, um, whereas the back half of our schedule is looking a little bit better. You know, after Wisconsin, it's Michigan State, Minnesota, and Illinois. So, you know, our the front half of our schedule, is, you know, we were a little more front-loaded with as far as the strength of schedule goes. Um, and, you know, the, I don't know. I, 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 if, we, if we belong in the conversation with Indiana, Michigan State should be a, a – a blip on the radar um, and not something we're, we're I mean, I, oh, no, I, I'm not, I, I'm not. I mean, it's a huge, I mean, as of right now, Vegas would have us at seven and one because we have three really messy teams left on our schedule right now. So you realize that and it's like, you're, you know, this team, like if you ask me if we play our best game, can we beat Wisconsin? Sure. Yes. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can. We can. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I feel I'm better just, about I, I feel better about that now than at the beginning of the season. You know, the beginning of the season, it was like, ooh, oh. big bad, scary Wisconsin, and now it's like, you know, you, you've seen them play, and they're good. They had we haven't seen yeah. them play anyone tough, and you know, we haven't seen them deal with adversity. I mean, they had two games canceled, so I mean, that's adversity, but I guess adversity on the field. This, I mean, this this is a game that has potential to be a legendary Northwestern game that everybody remembers and this team is absolutely capable of giving us that game. Um, you know, the one that we'll all be telling our, our kids about and we'll all be talking about 10 years from now. I mean, this is potential to be that kind of game in this kind of season. It's, it's a huge one. And, and I think, I think we can get up for it. Uh, for what it's worth, weather looks pretty similar to what we saw uh, on Saturday afternoon at, at, at Purdue. 50 degrees, uh, better than 50% chance of precipitation, 11 mile an hour winds. Um, who knows how that plays out right at the, at the moment of game time, but that's the rough estimate for, for Evanston on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, there's, and there's still a long time between when we're recording Sunday night and this upcoming Saturday. So, uh, you know, it doesn't look like we're going to have a blizzard, but it, doesn't look like it's going to be, you know, 70 and, and sunny either. So it's latter half of November in the Midwest. We know what we're going to get. Should we talk about the rest of the the conference, at least going into this upcoming weekend? Just real quick as, as we look ahead to uh, Friday night, uh, Purdue at Minnesota. I... Our, our friend Chris Giannini over at Winning Cures <clears throat> Everything uh, texted us earlier and was wondering why is Purdue only a two-point favorite, two, two-and-a-half-point favorite in this? I have no idea why they're only a two, two-and-a-half-point favorite. I mean, this is going to be a bloodbath. I, I So I said on our podcast last week that I thought Minnesota should, would like have a slight edge in this game, and Iowa completely erased them. Um and 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 let let's be clear that was not Spencer Petra suddenly becoming three times the quarterback he was when we saw him. It was all on the ground. They just uh, Mark Goodson just ran roughshod over over Minnesota and they had no response. I 
I don't know what is happening in Minnesota. I mean, like it's it's everything we thought was going to happen in Minnesota, but my God, it's worse than we thought. Yeah, I mean, Ibrahim again, he can only carry this team so far, uh, and they're right. I mean, Minnesota's dealing with some stuff, whereas I mean, Purdue, lest we forget, was having a pretty nice season before they ran into us. Yeah. Um, and you know that there's the Purdue is still like we're kind of looking at the rest of their schedule and being like. Our Purdue win is has a potential to gather some real luster here because they they may be about to go on a streak here. Yep, T- Tanner Morgan, Minnesota's quarterback, looks like the guy I described going into last season. <laughs> which I was so wrong about because who uh, who even remembers what happened last season? I'll just <laughs> I'll just jump right over that to right now. Turns out I was right. Just one year one year off, and then and then of course this year I was attributing it all to Kurt Sharaka, who at who Penn State it's like a disaster on offense. I don't know what's happening. Um. Michigan State at Maryland. Uh, obviously, Maryland had to cancel last week uh, due to COVID issues. Uh, no idea if this game is going to go or not. Um, I, I guess if it does happen, what do we expect? I if just depends on who can play for yeah. Maryland, right? And yeah. I, I would bet that there's a uh, there's a better than fifty percent chance this game gets canceled. It's it seems like when teams have had an outbreak like the one that Maryland had, like they've they've had to take more than one week off. Yeah, and you know, in in the case of Maryland, um, being able to 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 take Ohio State off their schedule, were they able to play this one? And you're right, it probably is a no go. But um, I I would never have expected you could have talked me in in the off season to being like, look, this game's just going to be a mess because Maryland's. Defense is absolutely horrific, um, but Michigan State doesn't exactly know what they have. Well, Maryland's defense is definitely bad, but Maryland suddenly has an identity based around playing crazy track meet football um, with their great wide receivers and their quarterback who's throwing it all over the place. And Michigan State continues to just be a god-awful mess. So um, Michigan State, you know, just may be able to duck Maryland this week. That's kind of where I am with them right now. Do you guys see, does Maryland play in a, does Maryland play Nebraska? I this don't year? think so. Because if if Luke McCaffrey is going to be a star, I wonder what people think about Talia Tungavaloa. Uh, no, uh, they, they do maybe. not. Luke uh, Maryland yeah. Maryland Luke. has played their uh, yeah Mar- Maryland played yeah, right. us they in don't. Minnesota. That that's their cross. Yep, you're right. So uh, shoot, um, hi. Oh, I, I, I had, I had the, something I was going to say. I forget. Oh, I got you. Did you guys notice the, the very, very quietly the Big Ten kind of changed their uh, rules a little bit and now are saying that if you have a game canceled, then uh, the team that you know had the game canceled on them now has the possibility of, of rescheduling, um, you know, much in the way that Cal and UCLA played a game this morning. Uh, scheduling that like 45 hours before kickoff. Oh, weird. I did not know that. Yeah. So, yeah, the, like. I, I assume this is in case Ohio State needs it. Sure, it, it is <laughs> absolutely an Ohio State rule. You know, Ohio State misses out on a game against Maryland. Um, and, you know, they need all the help that they can get. You know, they need all of the, the style points possible in order to try to get into the playoff. And, you know, if they, you know, if they're on the edge of losing another game, now all of a sudden, 
the Big Ten is is okay with trying to do a little jiggle jaggling of, of the schedule if necessary. Speaking of the Buckeyes, jiggle ah, <laughs> Speaking of the Buckeyes, what is the line for the Ohio State Indiana game? I'm curious about this. I haven't seen it yet. Only because I mean I, I mean, real talk. Indiana may get flattened in this game, <laughs> and, and I Indiana is had a absolutely magical season. I want the best for them. I'd love to see Indiana win this game, um, and suddenly, you know, some sort of this scenario. A few people have talked about where it's like suddenly that that slimmest of slim chances that you're coming out of this weekend with Northwestern and Indiana in the driver's seat. Um, but Indiana, Ohio, Ohio State's a twenty point favorite. Okay, that seems exactly right to me. Yeah, I'm just the. This is between the number three and the number nine team in the country, but it's there's a gulf between these two teams, and realistically, what you might see is Ohio State's. You know, to Sam's earlier point, hasn't exactly had to just put the gas pedal down all the way yet this year, and Indiana might just be enough to kind of wake them up fully. Um, and Indiana again, I God love them. They've they've had an amazing run this year, but I mean now that we know what Penn State is, et cetera, um, you know, and and Michigan too. I think they've they've benefited from some other thing, things. But again, it's fantastic. It's such a special year when you have something like this happening. But they're I think they are Icarus touching the sun at this point, and I think their their balloon may be about to pop. And yeah, twenty points feels about right. I, I mean, I think I think Penix could have his best game of his career in this game and it might not matter because i don't know how iu slows down justin fields no they don't and again indiana's defense isn't bad but it's not good either and ohio state's yeah there you're you're gonna get the full battle station from them uh we've also got illinois at nebraska i i would imagine nebraska's gonna roll um you know luke mccaffrey Uh, Apparently, oh is, my God! Is it'll be now just their starting it, quarterback. It'll be Luke McCaffrey for Heisman coming out of this one. He's gonna run for like 250 yards, uh, just like both Martinez's before him, and it'll be like, oh my gosh! It's a, it's he, he's the one. It'll all be different. It's like Nebraska needed to improve 21 other positions. On their offense and defense, and instead they've improved the one position that they didn't need to improve. Um, so, so I just I, I got to bring this up. They beat Penn State thirty to twenty three. They needed a very dubious uh, personal foul call and and a fumble a horrific fumble scoop score um, return for a touchdown. Uh, to go up early in this game. And then Penn State still almost came back, had the ball inside the 15-yard line twice on their last on, on each of their last two drives and whiffed. Um, There's probably a misholding call as I see a, as I see this this jet sweep action that Nebraska converted for their second touchdown um, playing on my screen in front of me right now. Yep, that's a block in the back um, that didn't get called as well. I mean, it's it's this team is garbage, and it infuriates They're, me. I, like, go Illinois. You Nebraska. will never hear wow. me say that. Lovey, if there was ever a week, if there was ever a week, Lovey, like put this Nebraska team in their place. I mean, and Illinois defense is so flipping bad. Um, but I mean, Nebraska's offense 
is and continues to be the quarterback tucking the ball and running. That's their offense. Yep. And he's really fast. But you know what? The other guy wasn't exactly slow. And, you know, right. And they'll probably roll because Illinois is probably going to continue to be just total garbage. But, um, but again, Minnesota is going to have their say. But this might be the seller battle for, for uh, the Big Ten West. You got Iowa at Penn State at 2.30. Um, Man, Penn State. So Will Levis took over for Sean Clifford in this game, and it looks like Sean Clifford's career at Penn State is done. Like, I don't know how you go back to him. He seems incapable of running Sharaka's offense. Like, just slow to make decisions, throwing to the wrong place. He missed a wide – his tight end. There was not a Nebraska player in that half of the end zone with – the Penn State tight end on their opening drive in which they settled for a field goal. And he just, he, I, I just, I don't think Sean Clifford can, can execute that offense in the way that Sharaka wants him to. It's just a mismatch. And Will Levis came in and was like, all right, 14 of 31 for 200 yards. He, he brought him back. 7.1 average. Yeah. He brought him back. Like he didn't, he didn't throw a touchdown pass, but he also didn't throw a pick. And I like, I don't know. I don't know how you go backwards if you're Penn State. So I mean, we'll see. But this feels like like Iowa is just gonna cram it down Penn State's throat and and probably win the game by I don't know a touchdown. Yeah, I think there are two possibilities here. One is Iowa some actually like yeah like pounds them, and number two is Petrus can't hit the broadside of a barn, and this game is just gross, and it's like fifteen fifteen in the fourth quarter. Six to four, baby. Like, Six to four. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, either way, I just pet. I don't certainly. I don't see this one as being the one where Penn State writes the ship. Is this a game at? It's Iowa? in Penn State. Oh, it's at Penn State. All right. That change your thought on it at all? No. Nope. All right. Nope. And now, <laughs> and now, if there was ever it, like Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas, you know, they said that one night. If it was any other night. Right, whereas like any other night, any other week, where like Buster Douglas's like mom had passed away, and that inspired him, and for the first time in his life, for like one month, he trained like no one, and at the same time, Mike Tyson was just like partying every night, and like his corner didn't even have ice packs; they had like condoms they were filling with water to put on his face, and it's like at that one time. Rutgers could maybe climb up to where Michigan was at. I'm, Sorry, I'm not saying nah, it'll happen. Nah, nah. I'm saying, the, I'm Rutgers, saying they'll Rutgers never lost get to closer. Illinois on Saturday, my friend. Yeah, they'll never get closer than they are right now. That's what I'm saying. Are they still Fair. miles away? Yes, but they'll they'll never be closer than they are. Here's right the now. thing. Here's the Michigan thing, though. Will never be worse. Here's the thing. Like the. The vultures are starting to surround Ann Arbor. Like you're getting more and more. Like, what's is Harbaugh done there? Uh, is he going to move on? I mean, obviously they're not going to fire him, but you know there is more. Where's he going to well, go? I don't know. Who who wants Jim Who wants Jim Harbaugh right now? Where's he going to go? I don't. I just don't. I don't understand this tar track of oh, like he might leave. Like where the hell is well, he going to go? He might leave because he's going to be asked to leave. I like I. I'm just wondering if how long he has left at Michigan 
and that's what yeah that's, that, that's the buzz. That's not him leaving. That's him getting fired. Well, I mean, they'll they'll right. try to come up with a no. way to not fire him, but it's, encourage him just, to like, seek like, opportunities I, elsewhere, perhaps. That I mean, that that'd be fine if they wanted to do that, but like he he's not going to the NFL. The NFL doesn't want him. That's become clear at this point. He's not going to another college unless he gets fired first. Like I just like I I just don't understand. Like if Michigan wants someone else to take care of this problem for them, they are going to be waiting a long time. Yeah, I think the, I mean, kind of my hunch is, unless the bottom totally falls out, and I kind of feel like there's still a really good chance they end up, you know, four and four this year. Um, they that, just they know, completely the, quit against Wisconsin. Like they oh, they wanted oh, no I, part of that game. I argue with no particular point. <laughs> this is like, it could go the other way. Could Talia Tagovailoa throw for 400 yards against this defense? Yes, he could. Um, so I, but I don't know with this COVID year and everything. I don't know. I feel like maybe it buys Harbaugh one more year, but some of his numbers, I was reading some stat where he's um, like, some ridiculous like zero and eleven or maybe even worse against the spread, um, like it, it's it's just something where like you know his his teams as underdogs are just like horrible at Michigan and it's it's weird because I mean it's like if that you're pinning an awful lot on recruiting and I Michigan ain't out recruiting the other big boys right now um, the way things are going but yeah no it's it's weird I mean the second half of it is you know who who's going to come and replace him and. Michigan's certainly the kind of program who could lure the very biggest name, but um, I, th- I would think you'd want to try to line that up. But yeah, no, I they're they're in a bad place right now, right? Not 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 bad enough that Rutgers could get close enough, but um, but they're in a bad place. Looking around the country, um, anything else jumping out at you? I mean, we are at this point assuming that the entire SEC is going to play, but uh, you know they pretty much didn't this past week um yeah i I think i'm i'm interested to see this uh app state coastal carolina game yeah i mean even if 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 the sec decided not to play i mean there's there's not a lot of big games um on the schedule down there i mean like who knows but yeah i'm with i'm with you like coastal coastal carolina had to have their game canceled last last weekend as well though i'm not sure if that was them or their opponent i this is the this is will be the the big time in the nation where every casual football fan realizes that the chanticleers play on a teal i love that field that's Uh, phenomenal oh it's glorious um and it's i mean it's a big game too an app you know was one of the the they are steeped in college football lore speaking of michigan um and before that, FCS Power made the transition, and now you know they're, you know, thanks to this weird season, but also that league as a whole are playing really meaningful football. So yeah, I, I probably am as interested in that game as I am in, in any other one other than ours. Uh, Bedlam got game day th- this week. I, you know, okay, whatever. You got it. You know, five and one Oklahoma State, five and two Oklahoma. I guess I I can't. I mean I with what the big 10 was throwing out, like that's what they decided to go with. Like, give me a break. I think that's just stupid. I mean, I get that it's bedlam, but, but give me a break. Like 
with what Indiana's put together this year, with what we've put together this year, there were better options. Can NC State finally just knock Liberty off, please? Please? <sighs> please. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I think what might knock Liberty off is South Carolina hiring uh, Hugh Freeze. Like, see, seems like that would be a, a, a pretty smart thing for them to do if they um, want to get better after firing Muschamp sure. today. I just just threw up that <laughs> <off>. <laughs> yeah not, not a ton of exciting you know games on paper this upcoming weekend and you know not a lot well yeah. out, outside not of a, the big 10 i was gonna say not a lot and yet potential for a weekend northwestern fans might remember for a no, long for sure. time i mean that we're on abc you know that's national tv you know broadcast it that's the number two game on ABC. I love it. The afternoon slot. It's fantastic. You know, kids will be napping, hopefully. <laughs> um, anything uh, more before we get out of here tonight, guys? We start talked before the start of the season, right, that the we all had a really good feeling that things could break right in the first four games of the year that we would be in the position in week five to play for all the marbles against Wisconsin. And that's exactly where we are. And now it's time to, to strap them up and let's do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, Oh, it's good. It's going to be a long week uh, waiting for Saturday boys. Um, God, this is going to be good. I got a good feeling. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John the and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.